Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Haynes in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning, Simon. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Good morning. And joining us this week, we have Eric Sluis from Mons in Belgium. Hello, Eric. A very good afternoon to you from Europe. Now, this week we're going to be talking about talking to Eric about his photography and his favourite lenses. And there's a chance that because Eric is Dutch, then we're obviously going to talk a little bit about baseball and his beloved New York Mets. Um, <laughs> yes! But before. Wow! Um, Ouch! I'll and you were scared you of me? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> but before we go any further, um, here's Johnny with some feedback from last week's show with Jimmy D. Oh, can I just, we're going to say, the Mets. Let's start right there. Because, oh, oh my, my God. God. Right, right, yes? Am I right, yes. Eric? I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. All right, see, there we go. That's the way to start the day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, feedback from last episode. Uh, so we were joined by James Giordano, of course. Um, had a great discussion about lighting, three-point lighting, studio lighting. A little bit of Jimmy rant there, which was awesome. You definitely want to check that out if you haven't heard the episode. Uh, take a look in the Photography the Classic Lenses Facebook page for um, some extended conversation about lighting. There were some good questions that, that Jimmy took there, um, specifically about lighting. And that is pretty much the extent of the feedback. I don't think we had any real specific questions that came out of that feedback, um, but there was a really good conversation there. So check that out, um, and maybe maybe Jimmy will give you some dating tips from the old guy who gets all the babes, because uh, that's our Jimmy. Yeah, thanks for that, Johnny. Um, now, I put a trailer post out for uh, this week's podcast with a picture that Eric sent to me uh, with him dressed up as the voodoo man. And it now turns out that that wasn't Eric in that photograph, which has um, disappointed me hugely. And a few other people have been talking to me about that amazing photograph. Um, so we will put a, a correct picture up of uh, of Eric when we do when we publish the, publish the, the show notes. Now, uh, Eric, you're... A Dutchman, you're living in Belgium, and yes, I do. you've you've been in you've been taking photographs for a, a very long time uh, since the age of thirteen. Um, yes, and um, perhaps you might want to tell us a little bit more about your photographic life and how, how you ended up here. Well, thank you for having me on. It's it's great fun. Um, I started out, I think, uh, as all young men when you're 13, 14 years old, and you want to have a dark room. And it was interesting, and, and you were trying, um, and you know, to go from from your your, your camera to picture that was great. Um, and some pictures came out, and actually still have them. Now, 14, 15, 16 years old, real life begins. Um, I continued, uh, but picked up another career. Uh, I went into a, a different field, but it never left me. Um, and basically I've always been shooting, never did really, really serious things with it. Uh, but I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, a couple of years ago, seven, eight years ago, I picked it up again. This time, uh, you know, more seriously. I still had some, some gear, some, some cameras and stuff like that. Um, and I started enjoying it. Uh, we tried to, or I tried to, to make pictures in a different way. I wanted black and white, uh, and slowly it works out. And here I am today uh, using, you know, strange films and weird lenses and stuff like that. Now, the picture, it, that's my alter ego. That's my nighttime voodoo disguise, uh, obviously. Um, and, and today I'm, I'm going out. I travel a lot, uh, try to do some documentary photography. We're getting shows done in museum. Uh, and we have a great, great time. It's it's a lot of fun. So that's what I do. Uh, now, when you when you say about we, um, that's that's got something to do with something that you call the Fisco Collective, isn't it? Yes, we we are uh, together with a photographic uh, friend of mine. We set up a collective, just the two of us. It's nothing big. Uh, sure, it wasn't in the beginning, 
Uh, he's got a quite an extensive background in, in France, in Belgium, and he's a great photographer. We basically work together. He takes Berlin, I go to Budapest. He takes uh, Rome, uh, I go to Copenhagen. Uh, and we have our expos together. We pick our pictures together. I mean, uh, he shoots a rangefinder like me. Um, and it's a lot of fun doing it together and setting it up. And that we called it the first collective. And, and why? Um, <laughs> you know Magnum, of course, the, the collective in, in Paris. And Magnum actually is, a, is a, uh, an ice cream. And <laughs> we visited Magnum. Uh, we had a talk with some of the, the, the photographers there. And we said, okay, we'll make our own Magnum. And we call it Frisco because that's also the name of an ice cream. And there we had the name. So now we are the Frisco Collective. There you have it. It might, might be worth just talking a little bit more about uh, the Magnum side of things. That's something I'm actually, I've, I've heard of it and you hear about Magnum photographers, but I'm, I'm not actually too sure what it actually is. Perhaps you could fill us in a little bit on that. Well, I, I'm doing it by, by, you know, just by recollection. Magnum is a uh, famous group of photographers that started in, in just, let's say, before or after the Second World War. Um, Kappa was a famous member, Cartier-Bresson was a famous member, and many others, Guy Le Carrec, one of the guys we met, um, and they have been of great influence on, you know, the way people take pictures and, and uh, starting what we now call street photography or documentary photography, wartime uh, correspondents were a member of Magnum. Now today you can ask questions as to how they develop, but there's no question, I think, in anybody's mind that the work they delivered between, let's say, the third end of 30s, Second World War, um, up to the 70s, the 80s, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, whether the digital era has done them any good, it's a question to everybody to you know, either like or not like. Uh, for us, we like the work in black and white better, but that's a choice. Um, they're in Paris. They have a very nice office. Um, and we went over there. We were invited. We had a talk. We had a coffee. Uh, we talked with one of their photographers there, uh, Guy Le Carrec. He's a French guy from, I think, Normandie. Oh, Bretagne. No, it's Bretagne. Uh, he's now 80-something. He's got health issues, but he's a great, great photographer. I and mean, he publishes a lot and gave us quite some insight in, in how it works. Now, we went back to Belgium and said, we're going to start something new. And that's where we became the Frisco Collector. Actually, now we uh, we have our pictures hanging in some museum in Poland, um, Bulgaria, uh, Hungary, Belgium, Paris. So we're quite... Happy with that. It's been a success the last years. So so is that a commercial enterprise and the Frisco Collective? We make some money. I mean, I can pay for film, uh, sometimes a lens or two. Uh, so I'm basically auto-funding. Uh, my house is paid for. I'm, I have DH. Uh, I'm the, the guy that makes dinner for the kids and takes care of those things. And once every four or five weeks, I leave for a small week. Uh, but it pays for film, it pays for chemicals, it pays for you know equipment. And for me, that's good enough. I mean, it's it's quite unusual to hear um, of people making money from photography, especially yes, yes. Um, because I know that you use a lot of film, but you you do digital as well. Um, but you, you pretty much stand aside from uh, the mainstream in how you take your photographs. Uh, we hope so. Um, what we set out to do had nothing uh, to do with making a living. We wanted to show what we could do. We wanted to get the best results we could get. Uh, and we wanted it to cover our costs, so travel, uh, hotels, stuff like that, lenses, film, chemicals. Uh, we don't make a lot. No, don't get me wrong. We don't do weddings. We don't do 
events. We don't do portraits. We only do uh, documentary photography. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. When on the road, I get up at five in the morning, do some, you know, 30, 40 miles walking. And that's for three, four days. So when I go back, I'm broken. But you have some pictures to show for it. And sometimes I publish them uh, on, on in the group or on my, on my own homepage. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't. So who will be a typical typical type of client uh, for the work that you do? Because it seems, it's it, it, me, when I, when I think about street photography, I, I just see generally um, the stuff that's shared on various social media. Yes. Um, and then there are a few photographers, you know, photographers such as like Martin Parr and, um, and Dougie, or I forget what his name is now, the Scottish guy, um, who get their work published. Um, so is, is your work paid for by being published or is it being paid for by uh, clients asking for your particular kind of photography that they're going to use in a particular way? Uh, The typical customer that we have would be the Ministry of Culture, uh, a museum. uh, One of our clients is the UNESCO, uh, when they have, you know, events that are are truly amazing, uh, the city of Sevilla uh, in Spain. I'll just give you some examples. Um, now, street photography on on the internet, let's say there's different levels. Uh, some is not so good, and sometimes you see a nice picture, but it's it's been overrated lately. And to make a good street picture, a good documentary picture, it takes a lot of work, and it's not easy. Far from it. It's easier to do a good portrait. Uh, a good wedding. Um, we're having a few technical problems today, and we just lost Eric there. So I'm just going to bring him back in, in again. Um, uh, Eric, you were you were suggesting that wedding photography or good wedding photography is relatively easy, um, whereas good street photography is 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 more difficult. Perhaps you might want to elaborate on that. Well, maybe I should say it better. Good wedding photography is as difficult. Um, but what you find a lot is that um, waiting for the good for the good shot in street photography can take days. Um, you can be in a, in a city for two days and have one or two shots. Uh, well, seeing as we are the Classic Lenses podcast, I was going to ask <laughs> if you have, um, uh, do you have favorite lenses you use for street photography? Do you, you know, prefer more modern lenses, older lenses? What's kind of, what do you feel is your, is your kind of your go-to? Well, for, for me, um, what I like to do is use the rangefinder lenses. So LTM or M-mount. Um, the, the stuff I like is the 35 mil, 50, 85, sometimes 28. And my favorites are Zeiss lenses, uh, old ones, Jena ones, uh, 1944, 1945, 1946. And they're just great. They're fantastic. Uh, I was able to buy them oh, a year ago. Uh, and they're absolutely fantastic in rendering. Yeah, and, you, and, you, yeah, and you've, you've gone to, you know, quite just, you know, I'm, so we're sort of asking questions about things we do know a little bit about because, you you know, you post quite a bit about your lenses. And I I would love to maybe you could share um, a little bit of detail about, you know, I, I know that you've you've had them serviced. You've really kind of brought yeah. them up to get the really the, the most out of them. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I found them in the Netherlands. And I found, in fact, a Biogon 35mm, a 50mm f.2, no, f2, a 1.5, and an 85 2.0. So, um, and they all came in a bunch, which is kind of, you know, new. Uh, got them in. I actually, I, I sold a Leica body to buy them. Uh, and then I had them serviced, uh, you know, really have them CLA, you know, cleaned, lubed, uh, adjusted, everything. And, you know, th- that costs money. You know, it's yeah. not it's not cheap. And, you know, when they came back 
first of all, they were uh, they were authentic. So they check whether the lens is in fact a Zeiss. There's copies and Russian copies and all kinds of stuff. Um, and then when you start using them, it's amazing. You know, it's like, sure, I have a Summicron, new Summicron, uh, and it's sharp, yes, uh, but it's not a Zeiss. Mm. It just depends mm -hmm. on what you like. Um, and in my opinion, uh, you got to bring something extra uh, to please the people that are looking at your pictures. Yeah, absolutely. And that, those are, I mean, <laughs> I've said this before. I mean, that is like a dream set yes, of lenses yeah. right there. <laughs> so I was lucky. Have, yeah. yeah, I mean, is it to have them to sort of um, actual, real, you know, the real thing, and then to have them, you know, serviced and and really performing, you know, to the to the top of their specification is really yes. an amazing gift to, ha to have. I mean, they're, they're, it's unusual to find them in any condition, really. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah four of them. Yeah. Wow. Four, four in a bunch, which made it even more, uh, we could assume that they were bought together or brought together. We don't know. Yeah. They're made in 44, 45, 46. Um, wow. And just, just came in and I went, I went ape, you know. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I saw that, and I wanted them so bad. And I'm lucky to to own some Russian rangefinder lenses, uh, especially the early Jupiter three, Jupiter eight lenses. They're great. They are absolutely for the money. They're great, but they're not like the Zeiss lenses. No. Yeah, and I and I know with your with your um, your Jupiter lenses, you've you know. You've gone through a process with those as well. I mean, oh, yeah. you've, you've bought multiple, multiple <laughs> copies, right? To find just the right one and then get that oh, yeah. service. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Wow. Um, I got the Jupe 3 and I bought oh, 10, 12 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then I felt bad because I had to sell, you know, the ones that I didn't like. Yeah. Um, Jupiter 8, I'm, you know, those were cheap. Uh, Jupiter 9, I had, you know, ooh, like same, like 10 of them or something. Wow. Uh, I, I sold uh, ooh, seven. I, I found the, 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 the 1951 Jupiter 9, which is a, the first year they came out as Jupiter 9. Uh, and I found it in the Netherlands on a Zorki. And I paid, ooh, I think, 60, 60 euros. Wow. But again, I send it out. I had it cleaned. I had it adjusted. I had it looped. Um, that will that will cost you 150 to 200 euros. But that's okay because you know you <laughs> you have a great lens forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's that's a really reasonable price to do that work yes. to have it done well, right? Yes. I mean, that's yeah, because they are the lenses are an investment, and they're certainly worth that that. You know, extra amount to put into them to get yes. them really working well. Often, when I read comments and and I always say or I try to make the comment, please have them CLA. Please invest in it. And I'm not yeah. talking about a, a nine, you know, a Pentax K lens, twenty eight two point two point eight. You know, with all due respect, it's a great lens. Right. Uh, but you know that you can buy new at, at 30, 30 bucks. Um, but this kind of stuff, yes, absolutely. You know, you get it cleaned, get it done. Uh, once you have a keeper, make it a keeper and keep the lens. You know, if you like it, get it cleaned. Because the the way it starts rendering, I think you've seen, Johnny, uh, on, on my pictures, the way this, this lens is rendering. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. No, they're 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 beautiful. And I mean, yes. I think the, your, your point is well made that, you know, you you can obviously buy new M mount lenses for the equipment you're using, um, but they do have a very different character. I mean, yes. those are great lenses as well. But I mean, I've I've even talked to. It's funny. I had a conversation at the shop with a representative from from Leica about modern M lenses, and he, I mean, he even sort of said that that um, <laughs> that all. Uh, you know everything that's going on the the M digital cameras. Those lenses are sort of designed to be corrected in camera as well. Yes. So we, you know, it's not like it's just uh, you know Sony, Fuji, whoever. All manufacturers are doing that now. All manufacturers have some software 
tweaks happening in the camera with the digital, you know, with the lenses. So as great as those lenses are, it, everything is not happening just optically alone, right? Whereas yes. the lenses, you know, you're talking about lenses that everything you're seeing is straight out of the optics, which yes. is really incredible. <laughs> it's unreal. Uh, but then again, when you see Carl uh, publishing his um, LTM 35mm, uh, uh, as the last days, I think you were in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Those are great pictures, you know. That's a fantastic lens. Yeah, the lens is perfect. Perfect. And, um, it was interesting walking around in Washington because I had two cameras. I took a, um, a Leica that I just got, a 3A. I've never shot it before, so I don't know if the pictures are going to turn out <laughs> or it's going to be crap. Um, so I was hesitant to, to use it. Uh, I shot one roll, but mostly I used, I used that lens on my Fuji. And, and then I, I used a Pen 40, an Olympus Pen 42, for a lot of those photos. And that's a good street lens, too. But I love that LTM. Yes. on the Fuji body for for a combo uh, everything always turns out just just right sharp yep. yeah and it's fun you know uh, when you're out you you have a lot of fun using the equipment i mean after all it's 60 70 years old yeah and it works right. great <laughs> yeah. eric could you talk a little bit about um your shooting technique if you don't mind I, we've had some <laughs> conversations about about this um, in the past, I know that I mean, I've I've personally talked about it a little bit because you know I know that I shoot mine, I shoot the 35 Canon lens. I have an older one from the 50s that I use pretty much every day on my my Canon screw mount camera, um, and I, I I feel like um, I mean I I do a lot of scale focusing, I do a lot of pre focusing, I do a lot of presetting so that when there is a moment you know kind of there to be photographed, you're kind of there and ready to go it's not like you're you know i might touch the focus maybe um but i try to be ready for that moment without doing much to the camera i just i'm curious about you know your shooting style and you know how you go about it and and also i mean you do shoot um your lenses both film on film cameras and on digital cameras and i'd be interested if you maybe could talk about the difference between the two and if you feel your approach is different depending on the equipment you're using? It's a very interesting question because the, the approach is very different. Um, when I shoot film, I shoot uh, a rangefinder. Uh, I use Leica M, uh, Zeiss, uh, there's Zeiss rangefinder, ZM, I think it is called. Mm. And I have a Hexar, which I think is a great camera. Um, I have the camera hanging from a you know, one of these hangy things on, on my shoulder, on my right side, so it's not too obvious. I look around when I, when I'm working on film, and I when I see something happening that could be interesting, I start. You know, I have the the, the lens and the camera in my hand, and I'm already somewhere in the region of the focus I'm going to need. Uh, once I am ready to take the shot, I take the camera to my eye. Uh, but I never zone focus completely. I, I really go for the for the subject. Uh, I don't shoot a lot wide open. Uh, I don't. Uh, sometimes yes, but you have to take the time for it. Um, but here, I, mostly, I shoot at you know two point eight four. And and uh, so Eric, that's primarily kind of your your film approach. Yes, I, I know yes. that you're shooting digital as well. Do you, I mean with that? Do you treat it just more like SLR style shooting, where you're kind of just fo <laughs> focusing at eye level for each shot? Well, uh, for me to shoot digital with uh, magnification, focus magn magnification, that's mm -hmm. like heaven to me. You know. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like it's, the easiest uh, manual focus ever. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> like you know. So I basically look, shoot, that's it. Uh, yeah. um, the same thing I have with um, exposure compensation on a mirrorless. That's just like, you know, that's the devil. You know, it, it works. <laughs> it's like amazing stuff. Um, and if you're not used to it. And then lately, um, I found out about in the electronic shutter. Man, that was like, you know. <laughs> I was, oh, my good Lord, what is that? You know, and, and it works. Um, so on digital, it's great fun. And I can put anything, or Pentax, or Leica, or I put some weird stuff on, on the digital cameras. I mean, 
some weird Russian voodoo stuff that I put on there. And it, <laughs> it's like, it works. And, and you know, people often say, what is this? And, and, you know, I just enjoy it. I think that photography has a, has a collector side to it and, you know, and, and enjoying it and, and trying it. You know, some of these lenses you buy for not a lot of money and you have a lot of laughter and fun with it. So, yes, Johnny, it's different. You know, for me, digital is like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I share that opinion. I feel like they're two completely different things, yes. yeah. you know. Um, do, you, do you feel that you enjoy one more than the other or, or equally or just uh, they're just different? Or, it, or would, would you prefer, I guess, are there, are there things that you prefer to shoot film versus digital or what, what are your thoughts? Well, when I go out into a city um, and I'm trying to, to get a, you know, a, good, a good series on, on that city and I use film, um, I'm concentrated. Uh, like for three, four days that I'm there, I'm 100% into photography and that's it. So it's, it's enjoyment, yes, but it's also hard work. Now, when I take a digital camera, I just have great fun. It is so much easier. Uh, it's 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 great fun to do it. So my approach to that is uh, I can go out on a Sunday afternoon and just go out shooting and, and, and have a great time. Whereas when I work uh, a documentary, I am really I'm prepared. I, I, I know about the city. I read upon it. Uh, I study the language a little bit. So these are two different things. Yeah, that 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 really makes sense. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it does. I, I I just find that to be true personally as well. It, it's it's two completely different approaches. Yes. Yeah. And and you, once you are in the mode, you are in a city. You get out to the hotel. You had your cup of coffee. It's five a.m. Uh, I mean, you're ready. Uh, you're there to get the shots and, and you don't go back into the hotel until you're done. Now, taking out a digital is just great fun. And you've got nice pictures of it. Don't get me wrong. You know, nothing wrong with a digital um, picture. Absolutely nothing. They're often better than, than, than film. Uh, film has a different soul to it, a different look. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay, you know. The two coexist; right. they they coexist. Yeah, yeah, and that's normal. Well, staying on the the, the film subject, um, <laughs> the the first time that I was uh, aware of you was uh, through a, another Facebook group, um, yes. your vintage film shooters. Yes, and uh, that which is a Facebook group that you started. Perhaps you might want to tell us a little bit more about that. Well, what happened was that I saw film in Russia and I bought it um, and because it was cheap that was the only reason basically and I said hey you know I I'm gonna do this <laughs> it came in and I made pictures and uh, developed it and there was something on my negatives which for me was like wow you know there's something on there it works it's alive um, from there on I went buying like a wild man <laughs> I basically <laughs> went all over Bulgaria, Hungary, um, Germany, uh, Russia. I mean, and I bought all kinds of stuff, you know, the weirdest stuff. And I bought stuff here in, in Belgium, lots of Aqua film, APX film, all expired. And nobody wanted to use it. And I kept on buying and, and using it. And they worked great. Uh, and one day I said, hey, you know, let's see what is the Facebook group that talks about this and nobody did so i said well let me start one and i thought we we're going to have like five members you know and that was going to be it i would have been happy with that and now we're at you know 2600 or something like that and we share our experiences and how we develop and our techniques um different kinds of film uh, and it's great fun again and the results are good you know not everything it's not all museum quality. It's not all fantastic, you know, no. Um, but uh, for the price, for the results, it's great. Absolutely. 
Well, I've I've got a fair amount of uh, expired film. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just one of the things that happens when you uh, when you buy and sell as many yes. sort of camera equipment as, as I do. And, uh, <laughs> um, uh, there there are times where you, you, you like looking around to see what you're going to pick up next, and um, and then and then you get some no no brand color negative film, which I don't know if it's wrong of me, but I, I just don't have any interest in that. But if I see something, especially if it's black and white inspired yes. a recognized brand, then I, I, I will use it. And I, I did run a role, uh, I did a role of um, Ilford F, uh, no, Pan F from 1987 um, a few weeks ago. I still haven't actually digitized the pictures on that, but, I've, but I'm going through that similar kind of experience as you did, as in like, there are things on the film. Yes. <laughs> You know, I don't know how good they're going to be. They, they could be yeah. awful, but it's it's just it's good, great that the, the things actually worked. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, I I've tried a color once, and you know, which you have to keep it on a certain temperature, blah blah blah, and it's uh, you have to use blicks and, and all kinds of weird stuff. Um, and my wife basically told me if I ever do that again, she'll get a divorce. So I stick with <laughs> black and white. <laughs> No, don't, don't get me wrong. We have some large caves here, you know, under the house. It's like 800 years old. and But I was banned instantly. So I stick with the black and white, you know. So would you... I really, I really, oh, I said... I'm sorry, Simon. Um, I really can understand what you're saying about the challenge in using film compared to digital because uh, last week was, was a good introduction to me. And, I, and I'm a very very much a rookie shooting film and so i'm up in washington i've got this old leica range finder and i thought well i'm going to shoot about three i'm going to shoot mostly film while i'm here in the city mm-hmm. i've shot everything before with my digital camera i don't need to take pictures again of the same thing i'm going to shoot pre-roll with film. Uh, the first day i got the, and, and so this is stupid i'm from florida so i've got 100 asa film so yes. i go to washington and the first day it's cloudy and overcast and the shutter speeds were going to be so low that it would have been crazy because a lot of the places also were in the shadow of tall buildings. They filmed the first day. And then the second day I went out and um, I had the camera set up and I did what Johnny, I think, mostly does. And I, I didn't, I was so, I focused by distance and I used a viewer and I have a, a, a cheap Soviet viewer that on top of the camera and it blocks the dial to change the shutter speed. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. So I can't see it. And so I'm out there looking at this dial, trying to figure out what it is. And then I realized that, okay, when the 60 is right at the top, that means that the shutter speed is actually over there on the side at 200. But I was shooting at pretty, oh, was it 100 and 200? And um, I shot one roll and then that was it. Then I, then I just went with the digital camera for the rest of the time and I had fun and it was easy. Put it on the aperture priority, focused and shot. And, and also with the film camera, I was shooting at, f8 or 5.6 because i wanted to shoot but just by, by uh, at a hyperfocal distance i think we've all had a, a few little disasters uh, re- recently johnny you've had a bit of a um, <laughs> oh yeah um, yeah 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 no i'm not, I'm not too not too proud to talk about it um yeah i i i rolled the film last night it's i mean it I don't do that very often, but I mean, it sure it happens. I mean, that just goes with the territory. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I feel fine about ruining my own film. I get really, really mad if a lab ruins my film. So, so that's why I do it myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's simple things. And it's, it's funny that two, the two film screw ups I've had recently, one was, you know, was last night. And then I had another one a few months ago where I was actually, I, I have a, um, a, I guess a, well, this person calls me their film mentor, so I will say my mentee, uh, Pigeon Pagonis, which we'll put a link in a Pigeon. Uh, Pigeon is a, a amazingly awesome person who's doing this beautiful photo project documenting intersex um, people in in the U.S. and I guess around the world. But anyway, Pigeon, I, I, I'm you know here's me being the teacher, and I I fixed out four rolls of film. Like I poured what I did because. You know, I, I I was not being disciplined and thoughtful enough about wh- what I was doing, which is what happened last night as well. But I, I, I so I'm mixing fix right, and then I'm gonna go mix my developer, and I I poured my developer into my fix mix, 
Okay. And so I fixed out four rolls of film while I'm talking to my, my mentee about, well, you got to be very disciplined about how you keep your chemicals <laughs> apart and everything. And of course, I, because I'm, I'm developing with someone else, I'm standing on the opposite side of the sink where I usually am. And that's like all it takes, right? Because my, my, my buckets, my, um, my chemicals are all in a different spot than I usually reach for them, right? So it's, it's little things like that. It's like with film developing, I feel like it's just all discipline and mindfulness. And I mean, last night, you know, I'm, I'm babysitting the kid. I'm running back and forth, this room to that room. So I, I, I measure out my water and then do something else and come back in and go right ahead and pour that water in with no developer in it. So, <laughs> so I mean, it happens, you know, and it's just being very, very, very disciplined um, and, and I think that's, that's the key to it. So yeah, whatever. Every once in a while, let's go some film. Most of my pictures are shit anyway. So it, you know, not, not a big loss. I'll go shoot some more. Um, I, I'm not heartbroken over it at all. Um, but you know, it, it's just, it's annoying <laughs> more than anything else. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, it's all that it, it's all discipline when, when it comes to doing developing I feel like I don't know if Eric, do you do your do you do your developing at home? Do you do lab or yes. how do you do? Yeah, okay. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the you know the other one that I, I truly like is when you shoot your rangefinder with your lens cap on. I mean that's a great one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've been there too. You know, you know, and people and I, this is like I needed to shoot the Danish whatever special marine God knows what band. Um, and I'm going at it and doing my thing. And one of these guys says, you know, take your lens cap off. I said, yeah. And it all happens, you know. <laughs> it's part doing of Doing the old Eric Clapton there, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's why I never use lens caps. I mean, I know it, you have to with some rangefinders because, you. I mean, you can, you know, yeah. you can cause damage to the camera. Yeah. Some sort. I mean, it, you know, you kind of have to, but that's why I use hoods. Yeah. <laughs> There's even less reason for me to use a lens cap. <laughs> I agree, but yeah, you know, it, it happens, and and we've all been there, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty convinced that the best disaster stories all happen on film for some reason. Yes, um, yes. I, I know that um, my generally uh, poor shooting experience that I've had with a with a, a Leica 3G over the past six months. Um, trying to finish off a roll of film where I, I couldn't really work out, thinking this this must be coming to an end soon. And, um, oh yeah! And, uh, and then I then realised now this this the, the the spool wasn't or whatever it is the the rewind wasn't turning on or turning round or whatever it, whatever it's called that shows it it's actually been wound on and it wasn't winding on. And so I decided, well, I'll I'll, I'll take it out. There's, something's gone horribly wrong. And then I realised that you know how you have to cut the leader. Um, with the old uh, Barnack cameras, uh-huh. um, I'd only cut it the wrong way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so to, to, it wasn't so. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd done my twenty perforations as you should do, but I just, I, I, I don't, I have no idea how I did it. But it just meant that the by the time I, I got the film in there, it was completely diagonal. So, <laughs> so it would never, it never moved on from the day I put it in six months ago. So. Um, and, yeah. and the moment you realize it, it's like the moment, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you look at it and you think, oh, no. <laughs> and you hide in, in shame. Well, at, least nobody, <laughs> at least nobody knows about it. No, no, oh, no. no, no nobody's seen you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've all been there. And like I say, digital or film for me, sure, it's different, but that, that's okay for me. But. You know, you can screw up in digital too. It happens, sure. um, and I think it's part of, of what we do. It's part of making pictures, and the, you know, the more the happier you are when you have a great picture coming out of that magic box, and that's great. That's the feeling we all want. That's what we're looking for. So I want to ha- I want to ask you about a lens, and if you, if you've never if you've never had it, this is going to be a really boring one because you're just going to say I don't <laughs> I don't know anything about that, but maybe you do. So, um, and it's a Yena lens. So yeah. over a year ago, I, I had a, a 51.8 pan color and I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was special and I sold it. Yeah. Um, but recently, within the last six months, I bought a pan color 50 F2. Yeah. And it's one of those really strange ones that people call a Star Wars lens. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact amount. And it's a fantastic lens. It's a cool lens because it has 
there's a number of things that are cooled. It has a hard stop between each of the aperture settings. So there's a stop between 2 and 2.8. Yeah. I don't know what it is. All the way through the range, there's a, there's a hard stop between everyone. It's got those nice little teeth that move apart that show you the depth of focus, like some of the old Voigtlander DKL lenses. And the, and the image quality is amazing. And it has circular blades. It doesn't have very many blades, but it's circular. So as you start closing it down, you don't get to a wooden shape until almost 5.6. And I, and I bought it from someone who had cleaned it and lubricated and everything before that, before I got it. Have you, have you ever experienced that one? Um, no. On the other hand, uh, what I did uh, find out about these lenses is that there's some special editions in it. Um, and no, I, 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 but I'm not enough instructed on it. Okay, well, that wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I noticed there's this famous thorium uh, lens from from them uh, that sells for a big amount of money. Uh, I have the uh, 1.850. Yes, from the, it's a great lens. But I, I, for me, when it goes into technical details, I just don't know. Yeah. I, I like their stuff, and I think they're very underrated. You know, a lot of lenses that people kind of dismiss at, at maybe forty or fifty dollars are actually great. Uh, pieces of glass to work with. Um, yeah, so the, yeah. the 1.8 seemed okay, but it didn't seem special compared to some Pentacons and some other things I had. But this yeah. one's, I don't know how to describe it. There's something special about this lens. The only bad thing is that the focus ring is at the very end of the lens. And yeah. so if you're not careful and don't watch what you're doing, your finger, the tip of your finger is in the picture. What I do know is after 45 or after 46 in uh, in Germany, that a lot of things happened, uh, and not everything is 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 open and clear, and and they made some fantastic optics, um, and it shows. It, you can still find stuff that is very rare or or, or very special. Um, so I, I, for me, it's great stuff coming from Jena. Uh, especially in the, in the 50s, early 60s, great glass. Well, that, that's something that I want to take the conversation. I'm glad we had, headed there, actually, but it's something that you mentioned earlier about those those uh, lenses that you that you have, um, which were from around 44, around about 1944 or so. Yes. And they are LTM39 and not uh, contacts bayonet mount. Yes. And uh, you mentioned that um, you had them checked and they were authenticated as being genuine. Yes. Um, I'm just wondering if you could run us through the, 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 the process and also perhaps give a, a few people an idea why I'm, why I'm asking that question. Um, there's a couple of things. Jena or, or uh, pre-war or during the war, most lenses that were made were made for contacts. Um, Leica, however, was kind of the... Um, the camera to go to. So they did make, uh, on request, LTM lenses. Now, these LTM lenses are, are mentioned and they're, they're known. They're, they're serial numbers and stuff like that. Now, what I've always kept uh, as, as true, 1944, Germany goes crazy. Uh, there's a lot of foreigners coming into Jena. There's Russians, there's Americans, there's, there's all kinds. Um, and what they started doing is um, using uh, glass that was made for contacts or, or in the factory for contacts and adapted them to LTM. I think this was done by people working for the factory to make money to eat because that's the kind of you know thing you're talking about here. Um, so when you look at the serial numbers, you can find a lens that is made as a contacts lens or started its life as a contact lens. But it was uh, in 1945, 46, changed into an LTM lens by the people from Jena, but maybe not, or maybe it was made in the Jena factory. Um, people were hungry. Uh, there was a black market. Um, US people, Dutch people, French people, uh, they all wanted Leica, uh, demand and, and, and supply. Um, the lenses that I, I got in, started their life as a context lens and they have a Zeiss serial number and you can only see that when you take the the the, the, the lens out of the helix so you screw, unscrew it let's, let's put it like that 
Now, that's what they look at. Uh, plus, you know, the the build, the way it's done, etc. Um, so, lenses got adapted. The strange thing is that in the 50s, and I'm talking about 50 millimeters, uh, they all look alike. You know, they have the same look to it. Um, and then you can, you can find them on eBay. Most of the time, they're real. They're either just after the 3 million uh, serial number, or they are just before. Uh, one of the four I use, the Sonar, the 85, uh, that is actually a LTM made lens. So they started life as a contacts. They are not in the listings of the official German blah, 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 uh, LTM lenses, but people were adapting them to Leica to sell them to US service members or any anybody who, who could pay for it because they were hungry. So that's what I think and many with me against the purists who say the only real LTM has been made by Jena for Zeiss. And I think that's where we differ in opinion. Now, when I send out the lenses, they got checked uh, by a reputable uh, service guy. And I reported back to a Dutch uh, collector who looked at it and said, this is good to go. And then they go on the list. There's a list with lenses that are known. And they put out the serial and the type of lens. And that's basically it. So I hope it gives you an idea of what happened there. Hmm. No, that, that's that's fascinating. One of the other things that I mean, we've had a conversation about coated versus uncoated Yenil yeah. lenses, and uh, uh, when I've I've mentioned, I've had a, a few uh, uncoated Yenil lenses which have which have not impressed me in the slightest, um, to the point where I far prefer the. Uh, Jupiter lenses, but yes. I know that your lenses are coated, and I've seen the photos from yours, and they they almost look unrecognisable compared to the the shots I've taken. Uh, not yeah. just because you're a better photographer, but uh, but also <laughs> because the, the 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 rendering and the uh, the the lack of contrast is um, is just so much so much better uh, yeah. with 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 lenses you you've been using. Yeah, the, the T coating, as I understand it, was um, kind of secret. Uh, but they started using it during the war. Um, so the wartime product produced lenses were T-coated by Zeiss, and that makes a huge difference um, to the point where, as you, you, know, you rightfully say, uh, the Jupiter 3 lens, an early Jupiter 3, is better than, in my opinion, than a uncoated Zeiss 19, let's say, 35 lens. Um, and it makes a huge difference. You can see it. Uh, you can see the coding, uh, and you can certainly see it when you shoot it. Now, again, the Russians came in in 1944, and they just, you know, they took it over. They just moved it out. Now, the Russians are people like anybody else. Like I said, these are, you know, different times, and whole bunches of production were just shipped off, you know, in, in trains and then people just, you know, took 50 lenses and left to Berlin with it and had them converted there. So a lot of things happened. It's, it's a, it's a intriguing story and, and, um, it, not everything is with German position, uh, precision in 1944, 1945. These were hard times, sad times. Um, and people were hungry. And when people are hungry, things start happening, even with Zeiss production lenses or Leica, whatever. Uh, and it's it's intriguing, like I said. I hope it answers your question. No, it does. It, it, it's it's a very it's a very very clear answer. And um, yeah, and it's as I say, it, it's something I've I've experienced. I've yet to experience the um, a, a good well AT coated um, Zeiss lens. I've I've used. I have a Opton Sonar uh, 51.5, uh, which is an excellent lens. Um, but that was although that was something that I did a test a few weeks ago uh, when I, I put that one up against a, a 1952 uh, Jupiter 3. And mm -hmm. um, in the 
pretty flawed test that I did. It was just pretty much about minimum focus. Um, I felt that actually my, my Jupiter 3, uh, this 1951 Jupiter 3, outperformed um, the, the Opton. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. uh, and it, it often does. The early 1950 to 53 uh, Jupiter 3 lenses are absolutely fantastic. And it's better to buy a 1952 for, let's say, $180 uh, and hope that it arrives you know, from Russia. Uh, although now with PayPal, that's pretty okay. Um, then buy the 130 Jupiter, you know, 1963. Um, again, you can be lucky, uh, but the chance of you getting a better lens uh, when it's a 52 or 51 is just, you know, huge. So, you know, and let's let's be fair, two hundred dollars for for a lens, like you know, you know, today, and you don't get even you don't get a cell phone for that money, you know. So it's it's sure it's a lot of money, but it's doable. You know, it's not it's not a uh, thirty-five ASPH Sumicron uh, Leica. That will cost you, you know, what is it, four or five thousand uh, US? It's it's interesting what you were saying earlier as well about the the number of Jupiter threes that you've 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 owned, and uh, I assume that applies to Jupiter elevens and other things. Yes, uh, um, you've done exactly the same thing as I've I've done. Uh, where whenever I pick up a Russian lens that or Soviet former Soviet Union lens that. Um, I like and, and I have in my collection that I always put one against the other and do, yep. a, do a test and I, I keep the best. Yes. Um, and that's ultimately with Jupiter 11s, uh, no, sorry, with Jupiter 9s, the 85 F2s, that's how I ended up with a, with a, a Nikon. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, it just, it just uh, beats uh, my previous best uh, yep. Jupiter 9. And I'd gone through 10 Jupiter 9s to get to that Jupiter 9. Um, not that I, you know, like I, I, in this case of, I don't have them all. It, it's once once one becomes lesser than the other, then the lesser one gets sold. It's as simple as that. Um, and I've had a, I think I'm on, I've got about had about ten Jupiter Elevens as well. And uh, the one that I have is 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 a superb lens. Um, but uh, you, but you mentioned the same with Jupiter threes, and that's actually a lens that I've not actually come across a bad. I don't know if it's just luck, but I've, it's of all the Jupiters, that's the one that I've come across with the least sample variation of uh, so yeah. i don't know if your experience bears that one up or not um it, yes it is um but to get a real good one um it takes time and it takes some investment um uh, for me it's a great lens uh, i bought them in the, the, the days they were at 60 70 us um so I'm lucky, you know, I, I could still do that. Um, today, they're more expensive. Um, and I wouldn't be able financially to do that today. I wouldn't be able to buy, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 lenses, um, even though it takes a period of time. Um, I, I now have two left, you know, one that I use and one that I have as a backup. And I'm very, very happy with them. Um, and they won't leave. Now, again, when you buy your classic lenses and you buy it from a, um, in a, you know, one-to-one -one sale, you pay a good price. So there's no warranty. Uh, there's no service. There's no, there's no nothing you pay and that's it. Uh, and people always look for the best price. So do I, and we all do. On the other hand, when you buy, I sometimes buy retail, I pay a little bit more. Uh, sure. I pay 30, 35% more. But when I don't like it, I can send it back. That's fair too. But you have to pay the price. Yeah, it's interesting from a practical standpoint. Most of the people in the group couldn't do what we're talking about. No, I could. I, I couldn't do it. So um, I think that I have a really good Jupiter three, mm -hmm. but I've not compared it against any others to yeah. see whether it stands up well against them. I, I think it's really good, though. I'm happy with it. My Jupiter eleven is just. Brilliantly sharp. It's it, it's a fantastic lens. The nine I've had I've had a couple of I had three nines and the one I have now is a good one. So I've I've been able to compare. And the eight, I, those are cheap. So you could buy a few different ones. Yeah. But uh, but but I don't. I think so. I think I've 
you know, I, I've said before, I got lucky. I've got four that are really yes. good, but I don't really, I don't really know that. And so anyone that buys them doesn't really know they have really good ones. And, and um, the only case where I've had a whole large number is the Helios 103 because I've gotten them free with adapters. I've got, I have some old Kiev cameras that, that came on. And um, it's funny, the first one that I had, uh, when I when I when I got it on the Kiev camera, I put it onto. I guess I had an Olympus back then. I thought this is a fantastic lens, just amazingly good. And then the next five that I had were all not so good compared to it. The first one that's so good had a big crack in the front element, but <laughs> it's 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 sharper. It's, it's just overall it's, it's better than those others. So I know there's sample variation, but I don't know. Um, you know what? That's interesting. I don't, I don't even know what to tell people when they ask about buying Soviet lenses. They can't afford to do what we're talking about here, comparing a bunch of different ones. Yeah. Like I said, uh, Carl, uh, I couldn't be able. I, I'm not able to do that today. These were different times too, and and I'm very happy with what I have. I use them, um, and that's it. Um, uh, you know, today you when you have a good one, ho hold on to it. You know. If you find better, sell it and get another one. Yeah. Uh, but that's you know. Then I think I what I see, glass is getting more expensive the last year, and and I mean twenty thirty percent for the premium stuff. Uh, what I, what I call premium is, you know, between a hundred and and two hundred dollars. I'm not even talking about the big time, you know, blah blah. Um, but it's getting more expensive. Uh, lots of people are starting to understand why these lenses are such a great deal and everybody wants to be different and I, I, I support that I think they're very right well thanks for that Eric um, we're going to start winding things down a little bit now um, and we've well I've got a couple of shout outs uh, one of which um, sort of carries on from where, where we are and there's a there's a new Facebook group uh, that's just been started um, and it's and it's got uh, a few I think we can call them uh, internet film royalty have actually started this group you've you've got Hamish Gill um, you've got M um, from Emulsive Stephen Dowling um, who was the man behind uh, Cosmo Film and Bellamy Hunt uh, who was better known as Japan Camera Hunter um, and they've started a, a new group uh, called the Film Camera Gas Factory. Now they've already been arguing over whether they got the name right. Well, it's 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 sticking now. Um, but the the group itself is purely uh, about camera porn and uh, and specifically about film cameras and lenses. So there's there's no digital in there. Um, so it is a film thing, but it's not a group for. Um, posting your photographs of what you've taken with your, your, your classic lenses and, and things like that. It's all about the kit. It's all about the gear. Uh, so it's, it's, it's looking interesting already. And it's, if, if it's, it's a group that if you think classic lenses, the photography with classic lenses is bad for uh, wanting you to go out and buy a new lens. Well, this might do exactly the same thing that um, for film cameras and, and the lenses that come with it. So there's some, beautiful cameras that are appearing there um, and there's a few there that I'm thinking I need to I need to go after and it's sort of encouraging me to take more pictures on film as well so um, I think that's a, a good one to take a look at um, and my other shout out is uh, again linked with uh, Hamish Gill of 35mmc and he's um, just about to launch something I think he's doing it on Kickstarter and it's uh, a, a device called Pixelator. Um, although when I read it first, I thought it um, said uh, Pixie Latte, but uh, it's actually Pixelator. And what it's about is it's a device that you can use to scan your negatives, but not with a scanner. You'd actually be taking a photograph with a with a camera, so with a DSLR or a, or a mirrorless camera. And it's a it's a method of holding the, the negatives or the or slides for that matter, um, with a way of diffusing the light behind it and just making the the setup a lot simpler especially if you if you don't have a scanner or a, a scanner that's capable of uh, scanning photographs um, or you want to do something on on the go 
you can put it in front of uh, a light source, whether it be a, a, a window or a, um, a tablet or something like that, and uh, and you can just just mount your camera above it, get and and take the shot, and then you can then um, uh, process uh, your uh, your your slides and your uh, negatives in Lightroom or whatever uh, software that you use. And uh, I think it's a it's a nice little idea, and it's something well worth taking a look at. So take it if you head over to. 35 mmc then you will see uh something of the fix pixelator which i'm i'm quite excited about that yeah i saw that this morning it, it it does look really cool very interested to see more on that yeah it was well both you and i we both digitize our our negatives um yeah in a, sort yeah. of a similar kind of way although the, my my setup at the moment is a cardboard box and uh, <laughs> a, a, neg a negative holder and um, and trying to get some kind of um, light underneath it. Actually, getting the getting f a flat um, light yeah. is, is the trickiest part of uh, it, this whole process, isn't it? Yeah, no, it it is. Which is, I saw it this morning, and it, it I was really intrigued to learn more about it. it. I mean, I do it that way, and yeah, I mean, I've I've gone to the trouble of getting a copy stand with a geared you know, tripod ahead on it. And I use a level to make sure everything's low. So, I mean, yeah, getting the film plane flat is like a huge thing when you're digitizing in that method, um, that and having a really even light source. So it's, yeah, it's a good, good on Hamish for, for, for doing that. And I, I'm really looking forward to reading more about that because yeah. it's, 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 it's a pain in the ass to just like to, to build it from scratch. So if he has something that's going to work out of the box, I think that's brilliant. So. I mean, in this in this photograph, he's got a, a, a sort of a copy stand set up on yeah, it. Yeah, a little bit, just um, a mini. Now, yeah. I, I, I had a little uh, email conversation with him this morning, and, it, and I, so I looked at that, and I was thinking, well, I've already got a copy stand. I don't need something to uh, put over the top of it. So if this comes out and it includes that that that, um, that stand, then I'm, that sort of would put me off a little bit because I just simply don't need it. Um, and he says that, um, I didn't actually question him too, too thoroughly on this, but he said that it was going to be available without it. Now, I don't actually know if that means that you can have it have that uh, that little stand with it or not as, as as well, whether that's going to be like an option or not, I, I don't know. But uh, um, he's only just uh, put this into, into uh, well, actually, no, I think he's been talking about it for a while, but um, it's going to be on Kickstarter soon. So he's, he's releasing more and more information at the moment. So it's, it's well worth taking a look. Yep, definitely. So, Johnny, um, uh, yeah, a couple. Um, wanted to mention uh, <laughs> we had a conversation last episode about pets, I believe, um, and we we talked about Tommy the um, the uh, <laughs> the parakeet, official parakeet of classic lenses, and we talked about Medi Buhulasa and his cats, uh, and we talked about and his cats and we talked a little bit about uh what's your dog's name simon flynn flynn right we talked a little bit about flynn but i think we mentioned that the the uh, the official dog opening uh mascot opening for for classic lenses might be someone in play so mr rollin bander rob um posted a great shot i think uh yesterday or maybe early today um, of his dogs that he shot with his uh, Voigtlander uh, 12 millimeter version three on an M10, um, <laughs> it's a and it's a great shot. So please go look at it. It's it's um, obviously Rollin is is laying on his belly in the snow, taking a picture of his dog, and the dogs look at him like, "What? Why? Why are you laying in the snow?" It's hilarious. So check that out, uh, Rollin. It's funny. Also, he. Um, he speaking of MM 35 MMC tie-ins. I know that he wrote a nice write-up in 35 MMC about buying an M10 rather than a Sony, which uh, is kind of interesting. So you want to take a look at that. And then we absolutely need to give a birthday shout out to Mr. Mike Novak. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah the dark I, one. The dark one. Yes, dark indeed. One. It, yes, it is Mike Novak's birthday. Um, so happy birthday, Mike, hopefully going out for a wonderful breakfast with your cameras. Um, <laughs> happy birthday, Mike, happy birthday, Mike. <laughs> so there, so there we go. Um, big, big day in the cam in the, in the photography world. Cause it is yes, it Mike is. Novak's birthday. The only one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I don't know if anybody else has got any shout outs. Uh, any Carl or Eric? Do you want to say anything uh, to anybody? Or, or I'm shall okay. we move on? I'm okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll round things off then now. Um, Johnny, how can people keep up to keep up with you on whatever you're doing on social media? Uh, I, I po- uh, I'm being I'm being really bad. I say I post every day on Instagram, but I've been like in catch up mode for ages. So, but anyway, I in theory I post I post regularly slash every day on Instagram at at Sisson Photography, um, and you can find me pretty much every day of the week at the camera sales counter at Central Camera in Chicago, um, and. You can contact us. I'm going to dive right in and try to remember the email address. I think we got it wrong last week. Did we get it wrong? Well, well it, we, yeah. I think we came up with two different ones, and I think I, yeah. I got it wrong, and then you agreed with my wrong one. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, it is our email address for the podcast is classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. So there. Please send us questions and et cetera so that we can read them here in the podcast. And how about you, Cole? On the photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page, on uh, Flickr, Carl Havens. I, I actually just updated my photos last night, and um, on Instagram also is Carl Havens. And Eric, um, I know you're, you're uh, not on Twitter and uh, Instagram, no, but uh, perhaps you can uh, let us know other ways that people can find out, including sure. is the is there a Frisco Collective? Is that online in some way? Yes, it is. Um, let me do this. You can contact me through Facebook, through my own personal page, through the Vintage Film Shooters page. Um, I will respond to any any messages. If people want to see some pictures or anything like that, just let me know. I'll be more than obliged to help you out. Uh, and it'll be, you know, it'll be an honor and a pleasure to help you. Excellent. And uh, finally, I'm in a few places. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Uh, Flickr is Simon Forster. You can find my eBay shop by doing a sell- seller search for It's Fozzy. That's I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y. Uh, I've got a website, which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk, where I sell lots and lots of K&F adapters. And uh, ooh, we've already done the web address. Uh, that's caught me out. And uh, so... Uh, final thing to say is you, you can always find us all in the Facebook group Photography with Classic Lenses and I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast and it'd be great if you can join us again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>